Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. In 2016, business travel spending is expected to increase to 1.25 trillion with a TR dollars. It's a massive industry that's going through big changes. Safety is a top concern because of world events. And even while companies want to control costs, surveys show they care more than ever about traveler satisfaction. Helping us sort through what's real, what's hype, and what's important in business travel is Mike McCormick. He's executive director and chief operating officer of the Global Business Travel Association. He's joining us by Skype. And we're happy to have Evan Conweiser, who's responsible for digital products and the traveler experience for American Express Global Business Travel in person. He works for a TMC that's a travel management company, and TMC is a term that you'll probably hear come up in this conversation. They're speaking with me, Skift editor and podcast host, Hannah Sampson, and news editor, Dennis Shaw. Thanks, guys, so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Um, So Mike and Evan, I'm going to start by asking each of you just to name what you think will be the top one or two trends this year in business travel space. And Mike, you can go first. Well, I think, uh, boy, one or two is tough. I could probably go to three or four. But the, the main ones that I think we're seeing, certainly number one on my list is the amount of consolidation in the marketplace. Um, you know, again, the airlines have largely consolidated, um, and, but then even through alliances, they're always looking for ways to consolidate in a sense even more. We've got hotel transaction activity. We've got uh, you know, every facet, ground, every part of the industry is consolidating. And there's some key drivers behind that that we can talk about. I'd say the other one, clearly still uh, sharing economy. The, those companies that have come in, uh, you know, the brands, the names we all know. Um, but, you know, creating disruption, but a lot of, you know, and all the, but then for the industry, particularly for the uh, business travel industry, you know, dealing with that disruption, finding ways to take advantage of what the, the good things that it brings, but also dealing with all the consequences. Um, those would be my top two. The underlying one underneath it all is, of course, low fuel prices and what that's meant to the all this newfound cash that uh, is sitting on balance sheets and what that's going to mean. But um, th- those would be my top ones. Great. And Evan, you have anything different to add to that? Uh, to, to add to what Mike said, uh, there's this overarching theme of the consumerization of business travel and tra- changing traveler expectation. And I think that that's something we've talked about in the industry for many years now. The pace continues to quicken. As Mike said, sharing economy is clearly part of that, but it's 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 more expansive as well. Travelers, business travelers are looking for uh, an experience in the trip end to end that mimics and even surpasses what they're getting in the leisure travel experience from tools or how suppliers are treating them and and how that to, to all the way to the expense process and how our industry is is delivering against those expectations continues to be a, a major th- area of discussion and a major area of investment, I think, for industry players. Boy, there's really a lot to dig into there. Um, Mike, so, you know, with all the consolidation happening, we've had all the airline mergers, and now we have Starwood and Marriott uh, going to join together. What impact will that actually have on uh, the business traveler uh, and, and the business travel experience? Well, it could, it, there's, a, there's a balance of impacts, right, that we have to think about. I mean, I think in one sense, you're creating, uh, you know, these uh, these mega brands, right, that are serving the marketplace that have 
the certainly the capacity, the ability to reinvest for the long term in product and service for the business traveler in a way that you know a fragmented market can. Right. So and and you you put that with a an economy that's been healthy. Uh, and certainly here in the U.S., but globally, you've got you've got uh, relative health the economy here. You've got stronger economy in Europe. You've certainly got you know a, a Chinese economy that you know slows, if we could call it that, to seven percent growth. You know, it's uh, you've got a there's certainly um, a general underlying health with no, let's say, worries about a bubble in sight, right? Other than just the normal uh, economic pressures. The closest thing we have to a bubble is very low fuel prices, right? That at some point could start to rise again and some of that profitability will, will disappear. But largely, you've got a healthy economy. You've got this consolidation. If those companies choose to invest back into the experience and relatively keep price and value in check, you could say, not so bad, right? The challenge will be, will that money go back to just rewarding shareholders or will it really go to putting better product out there for, for the uh, traveler to benefit from? I was listening to a really interesting presentation at uh, a JP Morgan conference by uh, Doug Parker yesterday of American Airlines uh, or the day before. And he was all about how the airline is going to invest in product. It's going to invest in product and their employees. Um, and they saw that as the key to the success in terms of, uh, they're putting a lot of money into, uh, their lounges at airports and the airport experience and, you know, lie flat seats domestically. So it sounds like, um, you know, and I, I guess United is doing that as well. It sounds like there is going to be a lot of product investment for the business traveler. Yeah, they, they, they're they going to have to do, I mean, and I'm sure those plans are there, right? But the, the key for the business traveler, and maybe this going to, you know, certainly in Evan's territory, but it's, got, it's not just about customer satisfaction. It's really about productivity. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I hear when you're, on, when you're on the company dime, when you're paying, you know, when the company's buying your ticket, right, and paying for your, paying for your travel, you know, the issue is, is real that it's about productivity. It's about making sure that you get the most out of it, that you can be productive while you're traveling. I know for the traveler, you've, again, it's not just about that. It's about your personal experience as well. But that's the key. And, and I think, you know, the product we have today could really use some investment largely, right? We definitely need some, some uh, investment back into those features and capabilities. Uh, so let's let's go to that question of satisfaction, um, maybe equaling productivity. Evan, your own company had a, a list of trends this year, and, and traveler satisfaction was at the top of that list yep. of trends. Um, why is that? We've maybe talked about it a little bit, but why is that so important? And was there rebellion brewing among road warriors, or or was productivity taking a hit? Um, what's what's that trend about? Evan, uh, maybe you could take this first. Well, I think we've seen the trend in the workplace and not just in travel, really all aspects of the workplace of expectations of what services your company are providing you as an employee and how you are now expecting a little bit more than maybe you did in the past. 
maybe it's a generational shift. Maybe it's because of the accessibility of technology that Silicon Valley has brought to us. I think it's probably several inter intervening trends that are causing this. But look at the workplace now. Look how many people are using Macs instead of old PCs. Uh, why? Is it because they're 10 times more productive? No, it's because people want to use them. And yeah, they're more fun to use and maybe they're a little more productive, but it's because they're things people want. And I think in the travel arena, I don't know that we're seeing a trend of people now being allowed to fly business class when they used to have to fly economy. I, I haven't noticed that. But I think when you think about the planning process, the experience process, maybe the amount of discretion and choice a traveler may have in that experience, you're definitely seeing a trend towards enabling the traveler more, more self-service, which a lot of people enjoy and, and like, and uh, more fact-based policy that actually merges the notions of productivity, employee satisfaction, and retention into a travel policy. I think if you think about road warriors at most companies, those who spend the most time on the road are usually those generating the most revenue for the company. And I think recognition that you have to build a smart policy that takes that into account because those are employees you want to retain and keep is, is really starting to now merge into things like policy creation and travel and focus on that element. And, and particularly in the TMC space, if you think about one, one of the things we focus on, service on the road is really important. Uh, we're used to going out there and using our smartphones to, to make uh, decisions about trips, for example. But there's nothing like a, a travel counselor picking up the other end of the phone or re re responding to a message to get you out of a hot situation and get you home or get you to your business destination. And having that real high-touch VIP-like service, I think, is it's like what, what, what goes around comes around is now, of course, on the top of mind of a lot of companies focused on productivity and traveler satisfaction. And so you know, continuing to invest in, in those functions is really important. Mike, that travel traveler satisfaction piece isn't just during the trip, it's also after the trip, right? In terms of, uh, you know, automated uh, expense management and those sort of things. What, what kind of, what's happening there? Yeah, well, I think that's another area where you, you, you really need to think about not from the, the, the interests align, right? The company wants you to be highly productive, not waste time on, uh, you know, on areas of time on things like, you know, expenses where you don't need to, right? So fully automating that, making it as seamless and as, as, uh, you know, the lowest, you know, lowest barriers possible are critical, right? So, and then, and then from an individual perspective, I mean, you know, what makes you happier than having most or all of it automated, right? It's, it, you know, it, the interests align, right? So, I mean, there's some really basic things a lot around the trip itself that matter, right? Um, it is that. It's like everything from, you know, people using pre-check at the airport. Their satisfaction of the overall trip goes up significantly when they use pre-check. You know, for that, just that one element of clearing security. The same with expense management, having a simple, you know, very uh, fluid process after the fact to reconcile expenses because they're on to the next trip and the next thing they have to do, accomplish. Not wait, you know, not having to spend that time. So, you know, you think of those things, you're right. There, there are a lot of stuff that happened during the process building up to, planning the trip, after the trip. It's all of it, right? Not to mention extending into, you know, the part uh, when people tack on uh, leisure, leisure travel to business, right? Then you got a whole nother element to think about. And that's all part of the experience as well. Well, and that we wanted to talk about that. And um, I know this is this is everybody's favorite word these days, leisure. But uh, uh, I know. It's that, I, it's keep, I always word. think of blight when you hear leisure. I, I just think can't, of I, we got There's got to be a better name. We, it maybe, has to be. Maybe we should devote Biscation. a podcast 
Vacation. Still bad. Vacation. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's no good word. Okay. There's no good word. We'll agree. We'll agree on that. Um, but so this this trend, uh, it seems to be it seems to be increasing. It seems to be more accepted by companies. Um, how? But how? How much is it disruptive, or or how much is it a tricky thing for businesses to let their employees tack on a day or two of vacation at the beginning or end or in the middle? Um, and and how is that um, changing what TMCs have to do? Is it a trend? I mean, I, I as I think as long as there's been business travel, there's been people trying to maximize time on the road to add on during, before, after leisure time. So I, I do want to dispel this myth that suddenly people discovered that they can hang out in Paris for an extra two days when they were there for work. I mean, I'm pretty sure 200 years ago, people were hanging out for an extra few weeks in a place after, after a business trip. So w- what's new is really... Uh, policy around it, uh, insurance, duty of care, particularly in these situations. So now you have a traveler in Paris staying on for a weekend after the trip, uh, some event or crisis were to occur, that company enacting duty of care policies, where is that traveler? According to the company, they've come home. Are they still in Paris? We don't know what hotel they're staying at because they booked it on their own. Or is the company responsible for that? And I think that's where there is now attention on this, where there wasn't attention before. And to say that there's an easy solution, uh, I mean, I haven't, if there is one, I, I certainly haven't seen one. We're in the business of delivering products and services to our clients and their travelers to help manage their travel. And whether a client decides that they can use our services for a leisure add on or before is is really up to the individual client and how they handle their supplier contracts and how they handle some of the the duty of care elements on that is is something that that is definitely being tackled in in the boardroom and in the procurement offices uh, of our clients and we're certainly working with clients to to support those decisions but this is a sort of an intractable nature of business travel it has been all along and we should be able to uh, put in common sense policies to support travelers so what is the gamut in terms of the way some of the clients are handling it, are they, are they discouraging, you know, tacking on a leisure trip or what uh, are they doing? You know, I, I haven't done a scientific survey. Anecdotally, I have not seen clients discouraging uh, the behavior. I think most clients, most companies recognize that business travel is can be tiring, but also can be a perk of the job. And if we're paying for somebody to be there, then um, let them be there. That being said, a lot of them are putting now policies in place to make sure that it's codified and that there are rules around company spend. So, for example, you can't up your airfare to return on Monday instead of Friday. Friday, if if it's an extra 300 bucks, then you have to pay the 300 bucks. For example, we're not going to pay that. Uh, similarly, that we're not going to sp- pay for the hotel over the weekend, car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'd say the one area that is the trickiest is car rental because car rental companies have the company insurance on the car and they're not thrilled about covering leisure insurance on add-ons. And so some companies I have seen have asked employees to go to the airport, return the car, pick up a new car for your wow. vacation. <laughs> in a couple circumstances around that. My guess is most companies are fudging it right now. And until there's a big deal, until there's a big situation where it comes to head, that's probably going to be, that's probably going to be okay. It'd be interesting to get a car rental company's perspective on that. But those are, I think are the issues uh, that, that where it's most likely to come to a head first. Well, speaking of car rental companies, um, let's talk about Uber. <laughs> um, and you mentioned sharing economies, Mike, and what, uh, how how unforeseen a change was 
Uber, Airbnb, Lyft, um, to business travel? And, and how do you see that changing the way that travelers act when they're on the road? Well, I, I think, I don't know if it's so much unforeseen. I mean, if you roll back the clock, I guess on some level it was unforeseen for all of us, right? Um, what I think what's happened though, you it, broadly, you've got sharing economy companies, the, you know, again, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, bringing a whole new capacity into the marketplace, which in, uh, in a general market sense is exciting, right? You've got, you got more capacity, more product, more you know, just more access uh, for more people, you know, personally, professionally. So you can say, okay, that's generally a good thing. I think what our industry is grappling with is really just solely the duty of care elements. Uh, it, it's, it's one where there are, a lot of, there are a lot of consequences to that. Companies have a whole new level of liability around these products that they've never had before. Um, and certainly for the suppliers in those in the space, they're grappling with and, and fighting over the issues of a level playing field. You know, how can one part of the market be regulated and the rest can't, right? Or isn't. And you've got, so you've got that out of balance marketplace and you've got these very real uh, duty of care issues for companies that I don't think they fully realized yet. When we did a study last year to look at uh, travel buyers and companies, um, the vast majority of them, it was like 70 some percent, had not developed a policy around ride sharing. And only 5% of the companies had actually put a policy in place in favor of it. And it was like 21% had put had said they're banning it or they're not reimbursing for it. And you've got this big segment in between where you know personally people are using the product. And to Evan's earlier point about how, you know, what happens in people's personal lives comes over into their, you know, what they want in business, right? So you've got this whole dynamic where it's just a big conversion of all these issues that, you know, we're all still grappling with. Now, for, fast forward from our convention last year to convention this year, I mean, when I think when we revisit the issues, we'll see that some progress has been made and certainly, you know, more and very quickly, you know, companies, uh, all the professionals in it, everybody's having to learn to adapt and figure out what to do. And the pace that they have to do that has changed too. It's, it's not, you know, you got to deal with things in terms of months, not years, like maybe in issues in the past, but it's, uh, but there's still a lot of work to do in, in uh, dealing with these issues. And Evan, I mean, you, you probably have seen Lyft and Uber and Airbnb um, make efforts to be more accommodating to those policies yeah. or Airbnb for business. And, and can you talk a little bit about what you've seen them do to try to comply or, or be easier to use for business travelers? Yeah, we've we definitely seen that trend, particularly with the more mature companies in the segment, Uber and Airbnb and their segments uh, leading the way. So we have business products for both. Yeah, each of them have programs where they sign companies up, they deliver data to those companies, they help with expense reporting, they help with some tracking for those for those companies. And I think that for some segment of the of our clients, some segment of the of the population, the company pop, corporate population, those services are meeting a lot of uh, unmet needs and allowing their travelers to access those services. From a duty of care perspective, as Mike said, 
there's still a lot of concern and those those may facilitate the service but they don't solve the duty of care challenges and so i think like any tool in the marketplace adoption starts at the consumer level bleeds into the corporate level in unmanaged travel small and medium businesses and eventually works its way towards the larger enterprises and where you see right now is uber it's totally over to the big companies i mean everybody is using it on mass that doesn't mean companies have policies around it but it means people are using it and that it, it is what it is uh airbnb you start to see grow as well and get some now attention and some collaboration with some large companies um, and is now, I'd say, I don't want to say ubiquitous, but certainly um, becoming very the norm among smaller companies. And so that wave happens over several years and with it will come more protections, more duty of care uh, requirements. And, I, and, and my sense is that companies like Uber, Airbnb, Lyft, that they will over time try and meet companies partway to their needs in order to gain adoption and generate sales. I think it's a, they're businesses like any other, and they recognize that if they can get in the door with large companies, it opens up mass uh, mass opportunity for them to continue their, their their mega growth. And so I look for continued, very collaborative partnerships with these companies um, as they evolve. But in order to do that, they will need to do certain things to meet the needs of certain large companies. And uh, and that, that hasn't happened uh, totally yet. What kind of things? Um, so in the Airbnb space, we've seen Airbnb for business. We've seen also their business ready listings where we have Wi-Fi, 24 hour access, et cetera. So that's good. But some companies want to know, want a background check on the landlord of the building. Some companies want uh, an assessment of the neighborhood to make sure it's a safe neighborhood for their employees. And they want to actually vet uh, areas now. Uh, is Airbnb doing those sort of, do they have the capability or the willingness to do some of those things? Uh, I would certainly let them speak. I certainly wouldn't speak for them, but it wouldn't surprise me if we've seen the maturity of that program grow over time to become more interesting to, to large companies. Um, you know, Uber, I think, has this, 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 they do their background checks, they do their, their processes. We all know the weaknesses. We see it around the world with the news. Uh, they sort of have this claim that says, listen, we're no worse than that taxi you get into at, at the airport. And in, in many cases, they're right. Um, the question is uh, liability for companies and putting putting providers within, into their programs and endorsing it is a little bit different than reimbursing when somebody goes out rogue and does it. And I think getting across that threshold for some companies, um, they may need more. But honestly, we've seen a lot of large uh, companies in a lot of conservative industries uh, adopting Uber as official parts of their program as well. So I think in ground transport, the threshold is probably lower. Mike, Evan was talking about how a lot of travelers go out and book their Ubers and Airbnbs, even though it's against company policy. So what is happening with the whole open booking trend? Is that something that's, uh, you know, kind of reverted or is it picking up? Where does that stand? I don't think stand? Mike's ever heard of that. I don't think he's ever heard of that. <laughs> no, yeah. I, mean, I know what, he has. What, what's funny, I mean, just, just from, a, um, um, you know, watching the industry, the, the pace of change of whatever the issue of the moment is, is really, uh, you know, accelerated. I mean, I, I think about, you know, what was it, 18, 24 months ago, it was all open booking, open booking. No conversation really significantly about open booking today. I mean, yes, we've, I mean, we still have companies still are grappling in a sense with those issues and figuring out, you know, what's the right balance between, you know, mandating certain forms of booking is allowing people to shop and use a whole variety of, of ways to book, at, you know, that as the expense, the expense management piece on the back end keeps getting better and better, you know, does that basically take away the need for, you know, well, 
certainly, um, does it give you a lot more flexibility on the front end? Yes, it does. So you look at that. We just did a study in Europe. The results were really significant in that you've got, you know, basically, you know, three in five people use more of a traditional channel, uh, you know, to, uh, to book. But the number of those that, the percentage of those that are actually then also using alternative channels is, is like a major, or greater than a majority, right? So you've got people who are shopping all different places. They're looking at alternatives. And then, you know, whether they ultimately have to book through a specific channel or not, I think even that's loosening up. I don't think that the, um, again, the phrase open booking, it's almost like you're talking about it some, you know, we, we talk about it like it's something in the past, in a sense, from what I've seen. But like I said, the issues are still there. They're still real. But I think everybody's getting mar- much more comfortable with the fact that, you know, they still, they haven't lost control of the process, that their travelers, they can still direct their travelers to get to, you know, the, the, uh, the return on investment they're looking for with their travel dollars without necessarily using the same procedures and processes as uh, they have in the years past. But it's an evolution. I don't know, Evan, I don't know you're, what you're seeing from your end, but... Evan, well, I was going to ask you, <laughs> in terms of evolution or revolution, um, millennials, what role are they playing in driving some of these changes? Yeah, I, 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 it's a personal soapbox of mine. I reject this, this term <laughs> millennial. Uh, and I reject it even more Why in are the you too old to, uh, I, I'm to on relate? The I'm, an XY, I'm on the XY, depending on the, on the date. Uh, right in the middle. So I definitely don't, don't consider myself a millennial, but you know, maybe a, a young Gen Xer in any event. Um, I reject the notion because I mean, if, if we want to, if we want to box people into their generation and generalize their expect their, their expectations in a travel program, I think, uh, it's a very, that's a very dangerous road to go down. It, it certainly doesn't, it certainly doesn't prove the point that, uh, lots of, lots of folks in their sixties and seventies in the workforce are using iPhones and checking in online and changing their flight on their phone. I mean, if, if that's how you want to think about it, then, then, you know, what it is, is it is simply the shifting expectation of the business traveler and it's, it's being led by technology. And yes, technology tends to be adopted from the bottom up, from the younger to the older. I mean, I think that's generally true, but a lot of the technology, a lot of the processes we talk about in the context of millennials, these are not like newfound things. If you want to talk about Snapchat, TMC servicing, okay, fine, you got me. We'll talk about millennials. <laughs> but if you want to talk about any common sense thing, like self-service, like good digital technology, uh, then that's not millennial. That's just expectations of the business traveler and what they're seeing in the consumerized world. And when it comes to open booking, I, so Mike talked a little bit about it. I, I won't rehash kind of the trend. I do think, though, if where I sit and from a TMC perspective, here's, here's how I think about it. We're a TMC. We know who you work for. We know what suppliers you like. We know your loyalty. We know all your travel, business travel for the last X number of years that you've been a traveler with, uh, with us. Uh, we, we know more about you in the context of business travel than any other provider there is, period. So why can't we and why aren't we and why shouldn't we provide the best path to booking and experiencing travel that you can get anywhere, period? because of the tools we offer, because of the services that we provide through agents and technology, because of our relationship with suppliers, because of our uh, ability to meet your needs predictively and accurately and personalized on the road, on the way. And so if we do that, 
what is open booking? Why would you want to go to a site and book a trip or call a supplier and book a trip who doesn't know anything about you or where you or where you come from or what you like when with two clicks of a, of a, of, of your smartphone, while you're waiting for the bus home from your commute, you can book exactly the trip you need next week, giving you the seat you want to the place you need to go and fulfilling all those needs. So are we there? Of course not. I mean, I think we have a long way to go to get there. But when I think about what we're trying to do, certainly in the context of Amex GBT and how we're trying to invest in technology, my goal is to create business travel experiences that are so great, our travelers are saying, can I do that for leisure also? And then we can talk about that challenge. Uh, that's how I think about it. And to the extent that there are open bookings, there always will be open bookings because there are conference hotels and there are, um, you know, people will want Airbnbs before they're adapted by the program and inserted fully into the program and, and companies, some companies will allow that. So there's all these natural attrition from a program to a certain degree that, that makes sense. And I think Mike would also agree that there is some percentage of that, of that, that is intractable and we should find ways to welcome that into the program and make it part of total program management. Um, but the notion that you would go to a different channel when it is more difficult or, or, or more friction for a traveler, I think it, it just puts the onus on us to, to, to ask why people would do that and then build products and services that, that make that not the chosen course for travelers. One of the reason open booking is so problematic to companies is because then you're, the duty of care responsibility is not as simple if you don't know where your people are. Um, so given the situation in the world over the last few months and, and really years, but when you look at uh, Turkey earlier this year and Paris late last year, how much of an impact do you expect safety and security issues to have on business travel this year and moving forward? Have you seen any changes, any unexpected changes so far, or do you expect any as the year goes forward? Well, I, I think I think you're we're we're in a world in a an environment now um, where we have to recognize that in a global economy, when we're sending travelers to places where you know they're operating in effect without a safety net, they're not going to familiar destinations. The percentage of travelers that are going to you know, beyond for any, you know, company, they're sending their travelers to places uh, that largely aren't on the map for them in terms of support. They need that support. They look for it, whether it's from the TMC or from the you know, distribution system at large to provide it. Got a lot of room for uh, improvement there. Um, even when, uh, you know, with Paris, for example, the, the, the honest truth behind everything, you know, was that companies weren't able to track their travelers at a, at a press of a button and understand who was in Europe at the time when that was happening. I think most, of, most companies really you know, had to work very hard uh, to get to the answers and not in the time frame that they would like uh, to really understand what was happening. I think that's, a, that's just a very real fact. So we've got a lot of room for the capabilities, for technology, for uh, systems to catch up with the need, which is really looking at companies being able to really look after uh, their travelers no matter where they are in the world and making sure that they're safe, secure, and certainly reachable uh, in times of crisis. Um, look, this is, this is the, that is a, for, we're in a forever changed marketplace. We're never going back to where we were. Um, companies, any company, big or small, um, works in effect in a global 
uh, economy, right? They're, they're, you know, getting products, services, they're selling them in markets all over the world. They're getting supplies, they're getting, doing distribution. I mean, it, every company I talk to, every person I talk to is dealing in that environment. So we're here to stay. Now it's like we need, but those systems do need to catch up. And I think that's up, but it's opportunity for companies to provide them and, uh, and to, uh, you know, be a part of the ecosystem that we need in place. So, so given, given those global concerns and the technology that makes it possible, Mike, for you to communicate with us from um, the D.C. area, why, why haven't advances in technology, you know, virtual reality headsets are, are popping up everywhere, um, FaceTime is ubiquitous pretty much these days, why haven't they reduced a need for business travel? And is there, is there a way for those advances to work with, travelers to either uh, help them travel more smartly or um, or really just change travel patterns in general? I mean, I think we all know there's nothing like showing up, right? Absolutely. Mike's, Mike's down in D.C. And, and, you know, it feels like we're kind of with him, but what he doesn't know is all the hand signals that are going on uh, between Dennis <laughs> and Hannah and side, uh, high no, fives. I got, and I got a really wide screen you know, here. So, I, I, so I got it all. I, I say... Uh, but, but the reality is, we all, I mean, I think we all can appreciate the experience of showing up. Anecdotally, in my personal experience of, of working remotely in workforces over the last bunch of years and watching the technology evolve, what, what all of the, vi- the video conferencing technology, whether it's a, a simple lightweight thing like a BlueJeans or a WebEx or Google Hangouts, or it's a, a complex Cisco suite, uh, you know, tele- a video conference room, what that has done is it's made the other 95% of your life way more efficient in working and collaborating around and whether and again there's also slack and other and other and and, and link or skype for business and, and other programs that we use now to communicate with a with a virtual workforce and so my ability to collaborate with with my colleague in in london or phoenix where our key offices are uh, we're on the, we're using these tools every single day but we still get together as much as we ever would because there is no substitute for that so when we see some teleportation then we'll know we have some real substitute to, <laughs> to the plane um, but I think the, the other the other thing is the trend of virtual workforce sort of has matched the trend with making it easier to work virtually. So whereas it might be easier to work virtually now, you have a lot more virtual workers, and so the the need to get together is not diminished. It's it's only increased as time has gone by. So um, and, and if you can you can add on things like like leisure and vacation, the, the the notion that getting an opportunity to see the world and and do work while you're there is a powerful pull and draw for, for people across the world. Um, you know, I personally believe, and maybe this is a little hokey, we work in the travel business, but I personally believe travel is one of, uh, and I think Skiff believes this too, travel is one of, of the great peacemakers of the world because there is no way to fully understand another than to walk with them, stand with them, talk to them, meet them, other cultures, other languages, uh, other industries around the globe. And so to promote that and make that, to, to take friction out of that and make that easier for, for the world's work population, I think our industry has a, a really noble cause. And it's because of all those things that we, we won't see technology replace the, the individual contact, I think, anytime soon. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with any of that. And uh, I don't think we'll be changing our name to the Global Virtual Reality Association anytime <laughs> uh, soon. I think, I no think uh, face-to-face is here to stay. It doesn't roll off the tongue, so. No, good. no. 
All right. Well, thank you for joining us virtually, though, uh, Mike. <laughs> yes. We appreciate having you. And Evan, thanks for being here in person. You're welcome. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Thank you.